you know, I mean, I think it's really terrible to smoke, and I don't think smokers have a right to blow smoke all over, but then, you know, even us smokers go out on a freeway and get polluted with all of this flat, you know, you can sit for an hour and die from secondhand exhaust next to you, and the government and everybody doesn't do anything to me to save my life and say, let's carpool or yeah. whatever. Well, that, that's why, I, that's why I mentioned we have to... Make it evil. Yeah, well, well, we have to... Well, I go by God's definition of what is evil, and by God's definition, even I am evil. But, yeah, but um, we're all sinners. Which uh, God? Who's interpretation of God? I well, mean, you can not to God. not to make a commercial, but you can you can buy both of my books and see my defense of uh, of God, and I defended it against probably America's leading atheist, uh, Dr. Michael Martin, philosophy professor of Boston University, 120-page debate over the internet. So. Uh, so I've been in there with the heavyweights and then more than held my own. So, uh, but basically, yeah, I think that there's a lot of argumentation about which God is there. Um, but uh, the God of the Bible says there is such is a personal God who says certain some things are right and some things are wrong. The God of pantheism is an impersonal force that is beyond moral values. So ultimately, there is no such thing as right and wrong. I think that's. Uh, has a detrimental effect on society. Um, and I think we see that both in India um, and in Nazi Germany, where, where both societies were, uh, uh, Nazi Germany and India were built upon pantheism. The different emphasis in both of them, one with the emphasis was on uh, future reincarnations, and so you got a lot of neglect because nobody wants to alleviate the suffering of other people because it might interfere with their negative karma and then they would be trapped longer in the cycles of reincarnation. Uh, Nazi Germany was based on more of a New Age type pantheistic belief system, which is uh, this worldly pantheism. The emphasis is on attaining to a New Age right here and now. And uh, that's why you, you find some New Age authors uh, like Barbara Marks Hubbard calling for the extermination of one quarter of mankind. And I am one of the people who fits in uh, in that class of people that she wants removed from the planet abruptly uh, because I do not recognize my own personal deity. So so there are different gods that we can choose. The, there's the atheistic god of Marxist communism. Um, there is the uh, pantheistic god of uh, India and of Nazi Germany. And uh, there is the quote-unquote Judeo-Christian god um, and I have to admit the Christian God is very firm, um, but at least there is a distinction between right and wrong, which uh, means even the government officials are supposed to play by the rules. Um, when you remove that check, uh, I think the people suffer most of all. Okay. I think we've got... I don't know about you guys, but this kind of stuff wears me out. And I've got a whole other class to go through. So, uh, um, next week we'll talk about the uh, what chapter did I say? Education. We're not doing the family chapter. Chapter. We're education. Doing education. That's right. We'll do education. By the way, for for semiotics, those of you not interior designers, but the others, these are the these are the textbooks that we're going to be looking at. Um, if if you want to uh, go get them, I just ordered them, so I don't think they're in yet. But I know that this one's available in other places, and this will be the main one: structuralism and semiotics. We'll be talking about Fernand. Ferdinand de Saussure. Most Eric.
Roz, you're not interior designer, are you? Okay. And Alicia, you're out of here. <laughs> she smiles. So, I, I would really like you to get uh, get this one and get started on it so that we can hit the ground running next semester. I'll be touting it in the future. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks for dropping in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just dialogue on the, uh, the issues. First of all, I want to comment on on when you talked about killing a horse mm -hmm. and that, that it's okay to kill a horse that is in pain, but it wouldn't be okay to kill a person who is in pain. Mm -hmm. What makes you think that you're better than the horse? Mm -hmm. What makes me think that I'm better than the horse? Or why should why, why should your life be more important than a horse's life? Um. I think, you know, and, and I don't mean this to be, you know, uh, a, a slam on you in any, any way whatsoever, ma'am, but I don't even think, um, to be totally honest, I don't even think it really needs response. Why do I think I'm better than a horse? I think it's pretty self-evident that I'm better than a horse. Um, I, treat, I think we should treat, well, I think horses are gifts uh, to mankind, beautiful things in this creation, and we should enjoy them and not abuse those gifts uh, but I think anybody who doesn't see the difference between a horse and a human being is either confused on what a horse is or they're confused on what a human being is. You're either lowering a human being to the level of a horse or you're raising a horse up to the level of a human being and I would disagree with pantheists who see uh, horses and human beings on the same level and, uh, and, you know, New Agers claim to be consistent with their views, and they don't like to eat meat. Some don't even eat dairy products, but they still eat vegetation. Um, but a vegetation is as much God as a horse as in New Age pantheism, so they shouldn't eat it all if they're going to be consistent with their views. But I think there's a wide difference between a horse and a human being. If, uh, if a horse bit me, I might get upset, but I would not hold him morally responsible. If a human bit me... Uh, even if he's Mike Tyson, I would hold him humanly responsible. Now, I would not lock horns with Tyson. I would go to the authorities. That's what they get paid for to take those kinds of risks. But, um, um, but I, I think it's self-evident that there's a difference between a horse and a human being. I think that uh, I don't. I don't think there's any evidence that horses contemplate the possibility of their own non-existence. Humans do. Solomon put it in Ecclesiastes that. Uh, uh, God has put eternity in our hearts. We think about life after death. We think about eternity. I don't think horses do. We think about our own uh, mortality, the, the, the facts of our, the fact of our own future death. Uh, we are moral beings. We make moral decisions, and I think that we're accountable for those decisions, and that's why we have government and punishments for crimes. Um, so uh, I think there's a wide difference between horses and human beings. Even an atheist like Walter Kaufman, who uh, edited and translated the works of Friedrich Nietzsche and the portable Nietzsche, even an atheist like Walter Kaufman at least admits to a major quantitative difference uh, between humans and, and horses because he refers to humans as the god-intoxicated apes. And so he admits the, the thing that separates humans from the animal kingdom is we're all caught up in this God concept, the animals aren't. Uh, now, now where, I, where I would differ with Walter Kaufman, he wants us to become more like the animals and give up the God concept. 
I think we ought to stop act, acting like animals and act like human beings. I'm not saying that um, maybe we're not uh, on the same level as a horse. Does that make our lives more important than a horse's life? I, I believe so. Now, the biblical teaching, again, I come here, I think it's a fairly consistent worldview, but I certainly can't defend every aspect of my worldview in a in a you know twenty minute discourse, uh, but in the, in the biblical worldview, mankind is created in God's image. Uh, the horses aren't. Therefore, human life is sacred. Uh, in Genesis nine six, God just gets done telling Noah after the flood, okay, now mankind can eat animals. However. Uh, don't shed man's blood. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. So in other words, uh, you can kill animals uh, to use them as food, but you can't kill human beings. Uh, human life is sacred. So that's a biblical viewpoint. Uh, for a person, well, what surprises me is that people who don't accept the Bible still think that human life is sacred and worth protecting. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And by the way, the New Agers who are saying that man is God, I don't believe that. I believe God created man. Uh, but the New Agers, many New Age leaders, I shouldn't say all New Agers, but many New Agers like the late Jacques Cousteau and Barbara Marks Hubbard, a, a leading New Age author, are calling for an extermination of one-fourth of man, the population of mankind. And Barbara Marks Hubbard even defines what kind of beliefs this one-fourth of the world's population have that they should be exterminated because they're holding back man's spiritual evolutionary uh, uh, processes and uh, basically it's anybody who doesn't accept their own deity so uh, traditional Jews, Muslims, and Christians uh, would meet uh, an un unhappy fate if, if this little grandmotherly figure um, Barbara Marks Harbert ever had her away um, and, and so, but basically, what I'm getting at is, uh, I, I think that there, I think there's obviously, uh, we are, I think we are obviously superior to that of the horses, and because of that, we bear more responsibility in our actions, not just towards ourselves, but even towards animals. Uh, but I can see putting an animal out of its misery. Uh, because from a scriptural standpoint, there's no evidence whatsoever that animals have experienced life after death, um, whereas humans do. And the, the Bible would basically say that God is the giver and taker of human life. And uh, so therefore, we would comfort and try to alleviate the suffering of someone on their deathbed, whereas in, uh, in the case of a horse, if it was... And, and by the way, I, I, hold, I used to work at law enforcement on a military base, where there was a deer with a broken leg that bent halfway between what I would call the knee and the ankle. And uh, I used to get complaints from people because they wanted me to call the game warden to have him put out of his misery. But what I noticed about this deer was he got along, he limped, but he got along pretty good and he ate more grass than just about any of the other deer and didn't appear to be in much pain. So I figured if the deer don't want to live, the deer will stop eating. And if it gets to that point, then I'll call the game warden. Well, someday the game warden went out to investigate, and lo and behold, he held the same exact position that I held. He chewed the guy out for telling him to kill the deer. He said, well, look at the deer. He's enjoying life. He's eating vegetation. Uh, what I'm getting at, though, is a case where, you know, 
a vehicle hits an animal, the animal's in, in, in obvious horrible pain, it, since it's not human life, uh, yeah, I can see putting an animal out of its misery. We did it with my dog. I had a faithful Doberman Pinscher. Loved that dog as if it was a member of the family, but uh, uh, the dog got cancer and it just spread so rapidly throughout its body that we had to put the the, uh, the dog out of its misery and, uh, you know, took it to the vet and all. Felt bad about it, but, uh, but I would not do that for Uncle Harry. Uh, Uncle Harry, uh, I think uh, I would... Uh, use medication to, to numb his pain and comfort him and stay by his bedside because Uncle Harry ain't a dog. And I think it's pretty evident. Now, a lot of people today disagree with me, but I think it's pretty evident there's a dis difference between a, uh, um, a man and animals. I mean, I watch you know, dogs do all kinds of weird things on my front lawn with no shame. They experience no shame whatsoever. We humans, no matter how hot it is, Humans, no matter where you're at, are going to cover certain aspects of their body. We experience this universal thing called shame. I disagree with Freud. I don't think it's uh, neurosis. I think it's based on the fact that deep down inside, each one, each one of us, though we may not want to admit it, know that we are morally responsible and we stand condemned before an all-holy God. And it's one of the things, one of the ways that God tugs at our hearts to try to move us to accept Christ as Savior. Okay, on a different note, um, what what are your beliefs on people who are hermaphrodites, or they have extra chromosomes, where that makes them homosexual or lesbian? What are your opinions on those sort of people? Yeah, well, we kind of had that, that that question along different lines, and uh, and the last thing, and the number one, I don't think there's any real evidence for. Uh, and I've looked at these study cases. Most of the study cases had a, a very small amount of uh, corpses that were examined. Uh, I believe 35 in, in uh, one case, 60 in another case. Uh, in, in, in both of those cases that I'm thinking about, which are the, have been the, the leading studies in that area to try to prove that homosexuality is genetically caused, in both those cases the uh, corpses of the homosexuals were, were victims of AIDS. So we don't know if the differences in their brains were uh, were due was the the result of AIDS or was the cause of homosexuality. Um, uh, so I don't think that the the scientific evidence favors it. Uh, and matter of fact, in in Seattle, there are several groups, Christian groups of former homosexuals who came out of the homosexual lifestyle and claimed to have been set free uh, by the Lord Jesus and they have a ministry to other homosexuals to try to lead them out of that lifestyle. And uh, I don't, just like I don't tell a uh, cocaine addict, well, you just, your body just thrive, you know, wants that stuff, desires that stuff, so go ahead and do cocaine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the same for a homosexual or a chain smoker. I think it's damaging not only spiritually but physically, and I would plead with them to come out of that lifestyle. Um, uh, the other factor is, even if it was genetically programmed behavior, it still wouldn't lessen the force of it. Um, uh, for instance, uh, I'm open to the possibility, I, I come from a long line of uh, uh, Portuguese and Italian uh, uh, hot-tempered uh, males. I mean, you could trace us all the way, as far as you can go back, whether it's a Fernandez or a Minichino or a Restaino, you had a bunch of guys with hot tempers. And uh, so I wouldn't even 
be surprised if I was genetically uh, predisposed towards a violent temper. Uh, at the same time, when I read the scriptures, it appears to me that the Lord Jesus is saying he can break the chain. Uh, he, uh, if he condemns it as sin, if I turn my life over to him, he can wash me, cleanse me, and change me so that I can say no to a sin that uh, before that I couldn't say no to it. So, uh, so either way, I, I think that the, the, you know, the gospel message and the biblical view of homosexuality remains the same. But I do think that the, the, the evidence for homosexuality being genetic is, is, is very weak at this point. I'm not talking about the differences in the brain. I'm talking about people who actually have a penis and a vagina. Oh, yeah. And they also have ovaries or people who are in their... Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that is a very... Those are, those are very, very, very complex uh, cases where, uh, where someone would have both uh, male and female sex organs and uh, um, those are very complex cases uh, I could give you Jesus the apparent view that Jesus gave uh, when Jesus said that marriage should be for life um, because marriage is between you know two imperfect people you know, and by the way I, I'm, I, I, I'm not perfect I don't think that uh, any person is perfect until Jesus returns and perfects us um, at the same time, I've turned my life over to him in the Lord. So, so don't get me wrong, it's me saying that Christians are holy and totally without sin and, and, and only uh, non-Christians are sinful. Um, but whatever the case, Jesus did say that. The apostles said, you know, well, who can accept this? You know, if marriage is for life, who can accept this? What if you marry somebody and find out that you're not real compatible with the person, this and that, and blah, blah, blah. Jesus said that some guys are made enochs uh, by kings, in other words, an ancient king would hire a man to oversee his harem, and so what he would do would basically a uh, surgical procedure would take place so that the king would know that he could trust the guy with his harem. Um, then Jesus said, other guys make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus and John the Baptist nothing surgically was done to them but they just chose not to get married and just to work for God's kingdom full time 24 hours a day 7 days a week um, uh, but then Jesus also said that some people are eunuchs from birth and so I, I don't know if that would fall into that category that it may be possible that hey this person has all the male sex organs but and, and bone structure but lacking but, but also has some female um, uh, sex organs in the uh, outwardly but has the male uh, bone structure, there may be a way to uh, perform a surgical operation and bring uh, the more of a sense of normalcy in, in that life. But uh, you know, I don't know. Those are definitely difficult questions. And uh, the Bible teaches because man fell in the garden, this whole creation is messed up. And that wasn't God's choice, it was man's choice to turn his back on God. And the consequences that came because of it, we have horrible things like that that, that enter into uh, 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 the situation in life. So my heart really goes out to those people. But there are, are some issues where there are no, no easy answers. And I... Yeah, I appreciate your sensitivity on that to, to think about people like that because uh, too often, uh, you know, we don't think about people like that. 
I was just going to say, it seems like a lot of what you're saying is that um, you're equivalent, making equivalent homosexuality with uh, promiscuity or other things like that. And I don't really think I agree saying that, you know, because of if we can, because they're going to be going to having sex all the time or because they're going to have a disease, this is a bad way of life. I mean, there's more people out there, you know, heterosexuals who are having the same problems from more promiscuous yeah. than some homosexual people. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, but the the, the, the I, I was homo, uh, homosexuality and sexual promiscuity are both condemned by the scriptures. At the same time, um, having said that, the fact of the matter is, though, uh, sodomy is very under the medical evidence. I don't know if you ever examined the medical evidence of the homosexual lifestyle and sodomy itself. Even heterosexual sodomy is extremely damaging to uh, to the rectum and the, the, the muscles in that area of the body and the small membrane between the uh, the uh, inside of the uh, of the anus and the uh, immune system I mean uh, but basically homosexuality if, if you really examine the medical evidence for it uh, whether it's um, you know the, the, whether it's uh, fisting um, inserting the fist into another's rectum, whether it's rimming um, uh, anal uh, contact with the anus, but uh, you know, oral contact with the anus, uh, sodomy. Uh, basically, the medical evidence is overwhelming that uh, that it is is very damaging to the human body, and that's why the life expectancy of homosexual males uh, in the most uh, thorough study ever done. The same guy, Paul Cameron, same guy who. Uh, uh, provided the evidence for the danger of secondhand smoke showed that the homosexual uh, male homosexual life uh, expectancy is 41 years, uh, 43 years if uh, they don't get AIDS, 41, uh, 39 years if they do get AIDS. So, uh, so I, I was sexual, uh, uh, heterosexual, sexually promiscuous lifestyle can be incredibly damaging to, through. Uh, many uh, sexually transmitted diseases, things like that. At the same time, um, the homosexual lifestyle, just, even if it was monogamous, it, it would be tremendously damaging to the human body. But in fact, most cases it's not, uh, at least most of the documented cases, it's, it's not not normally monogamous. Uh, the uh, um, And I don't want to get into, you know, gay, the what goes on at gay bars and th things like that, but in, in my research, I was uh, I, I was shocked to, to find out, uh, um, you know, that that there are some homosexuals that are having sex with literally hundreds of anonymous partners each year, and that it's not really that uncommon among the homosexual community. And I would say, if a guy, if a heterosexual tries to do that, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he died young as well. I mean, um, I, I, see, the main reasons why I hold to this stuff is because God's Word says so, and I believe there's good evidence that the Bible is God's Word. So the main reasons why I'm opposed to certain practices are the spiritual reasons and because thus saith the Lord. But I do recognize, you know, that we live in a society that doesn't always, people don't always accept the Bible as God's Word. So the least I can do in, in those areas is... Uh, find good practical uh, medical reasons uh, for not partaking in certain practices. Certain, best case scenario, I'd love to see a sexual promiscuous person or a homosexual 
accept Jesus as their Savior and have Jesus to take that desire for that sin away from them. Um, but if they won't come to Christ, then I would have, I would, you know, if I can't lead them to Christ, it would be nice if, if at least they would flee that lifestyle and have a, um, uh, a longer lifespan, you know, that type of thing. But, uh, you know, in other words, if my, if my uncle's a chain smoker, and he doesn't want to accept Christ, I would still hope that he would at least give up the cigarettes just out of compassion for him. And uh, We're going to have to wrap this up fairly soon. Randy or Erica, anything? <laughs> Actually, I was curious about, um, just philosophically, how you would address the issue of a homosexual couple who, for whatever reason, doesn't actually engage in any sexual conduct. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're in love for each other, maybe they live together long Yeah, if I if I if I could, I, I got a paper yesterday um, that I'd never had one like it before. This 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 woman is in a relationship with another woman. They're apparently she even said she used the word spiritual. They're apparently deeply in love, but they're but they're, it's not. There's nothing sexual about it. She 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 said that she'd had she she was married to a man. And she's divorced now. But she has this other significant other in her life and, and apparently this, this, the quality of their love is, is borders on the spiritual what, you know, how, she, how she's defining it anyway uh, and she said that they're not sexually involved at all but that they've decided to be lifelong partners so is that kind of what you're yeah, talking well, about? Well, see, the, the thing is too, I, I, I think uh, I can see the possibility of two different cases here one is where they do have homosexual desires for one another which the Bible, Romans 1 still would define as... See, you see, the Bible, if, uh, if Mr. Jones lusted after a woman other than his wife, you know, the Bible would define that as sin even if he didn't act on it, act upon that, okay? So in, in the one case, it would still be sin that they have those desires and that by living under the same roof, they might be tempted um, uh, to the, towards those temptations. Uh, in the other case, it seems to me that the kinship is a tremendously close kinship, but it doesn't seem to be defined at all by sex. And uh, um, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't see any problem if David and Jonathan had this. They, they were very close in the scriptures. One of Saul's sons. I wouldn't, you know, be if he was living today. If they were living today, if they decided, hey, let's go get an apartment together, and there's no sexual desire for one another. But they're just good buddies. They see things eye to eye. They agree on so many issues that they they can uh, basically. But but I would not equate that at all with marriage. Uh, uh, sex is not. Sex is such a big aspect to marriage. Not the only aspect. So that if your if your mate were in a car accident and could no longer uh, have sex with his or her spouse, I don't believe the spouse would have a right for divorce. Uh, but, uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, the, the, it's the husband and wife in that s- lifelong sexual union um, that kind of defines marriage and you know there would be exceptions if, uh, if there's an injury or that type of thing um, and so, but in the other case it just seems like two very very close friends and, uh, and not having a sexual desire for each other so not necessarily uh, so, sin uh, by the way I do not believe the government sex though isn't really love though what's that? Oh yes, it is. Oh yes. Sounds very much like what you just said. No, 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 no. And the question, just for the 
cassette uh, that, that, uh, that I implied that love without sex isn't love. No, no, in fact, I even said, but in, in the love of a man for his wife, um, in the context of marriage, sex is an aspect of that type of love. But there's, there's basically, see, our, our, one of the problems is our word for love in English. You know, what do you mean? You know, uh, I love Kathy. Kathy's my wife. But I could also say, uh, uh, I love horses. Well, I mean something totally different when I say I love horses or I love my car. It means something totally different there. So what, what do you mean? Like? Do you mean lust? Right, you mean, you know, no, but, but you're, it, you're, applying, you're applying some internal definition that you have of love to the well, it, they're talking about. They consider it the same type of love as this woman's been married before. She knows well, see, but, but they're, they're, they're defining it as a, asexual. Still, I think that she's con she's defining the relationship as a marriage. Oh, okay, yeah. Th th then the scriptures would have problems with that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, see now, and, and another factor though too. Uh, another fact, and it's real weird too there because they're defining it themselves as, uh, you know, if a husband and a wife had no attraction, no sexual attraction for one another, no desire for relations, even though both were physically able to have relations, um, it would seem to me to be a little, you know, problematic. Or, you, know, you, you might have a couple, maybe, I don't know, maybe as years go on, they just decide, they just like being together, but they don't feel like having sexual relations, if both are in agreement, the Bible wouldn't have any problem with that. Um, but as far as two members of the same sex trying to equate that with uh, the biblical concept of marriage, yeah, the, the, the church would have problems with that. Another thing I would say, though, too, is um, even though the Bible condemns homosexual desires, inward desires as sin, just as uh, heterosexual lust would be defined as sin, uh, the Bible does not say that the government, therefore, should punish people for their inner thoughts. And that's, um, that's one of the uh, problems with a lot of uh, Christians today is they don't have a... They think that the, the government is supposed to enforce every aspect of Christianity, and, and that is not the case. Um, um, you know, there are aspects of Christianity that... Uh, pretty much all the world's religions would agree upon is like thou shalt not murder innocent people um, uh, pretty much all the world's religions would agree that uh, we need some kind of government system to, pr to protect innocent people from uh, cold-blooded murderers um, but it's outward behavior the government's supposed to deal with and, uh, and mainly because the government convinces people to get with its program through coercion church is supposed to do it through persuading the hearts of others and so if you give the government entity the guys with the guns if you want them to become mind police or big brother right I think it opens up a can of worms that no uh, no intelligent Christian or non-Christian would really want unless of course they were power hungry and wanted to take the reins yes sir I just had a question on what you just said was the Bible actually written as thou shalt not murder innocent people or what was it written kill? Because it seems like this new thing mm -hmm. you say murder innocent people mm -hmm. to justify capital punishment. Mm -hmm. When uh, all I've heard, I mean, I'm not that knowledgeable. Yeah. All I've heard up until recently is that should not kill. Yeah, like yeah, and then and that's it's very interesting. Some translations translate that should not murder. Some say that should not kill. Um, and it's a tough one to call. At the same time, God's word. And here we get into philosophical 
uh, type stuff. Uh, I would agree with Augustine, Aquinas, and Norman Geisler on this particular topic, all Christian philosophers. Uh, God's Word says the wife is to submit to her husband in everything. The Bible says that we are to submit to the governing authorities, and it implies in everything. Yet the Bible also commends uh, Rahab the harlot and the apostles for refusing to submit to the governing authorities. And uh, so Christian philosophers have dealt with that over the years and over the centuries, and the conclusion that they've drawn um, is that in a cursed creation, sometimes it's impossible to obey two of God's commands. And since some, some of God's commands are higher than others, we receive an exemption from the lower command while obeying the greater command. In other words, it, it, thou shalt not bear false witness at the same time if a guy held a gun to your head and said, tell me where your classmate is, I want to kill them. Well, if you know where your classmate is, if you tell the truth, God's going to hold you accountable. In that particular case, you can tell a falsehood to send the person in the wrong direction to save innocent human life. Uh, so, so basically what it would be is there's an exemption, and that would be Genesis 9-6 where God says, if, if, if man sheds innocent blood by man, his blood shall be shed. Um, and the other possibility is that the word should be translated murder, and, and Hebrew scholars even disagree, disagree on that issue. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's open to interpretation. I just I find it difficult, at least from my conception of Jesus Christ, to think that he would be in favor of that country. And since I it seems like the entire idea of the Christianity is to emulate Christ as closely as possible, then it just looks like you're sort of running through the Bible finding justifications for something that most people just think is the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, justified biblically or not. Yeah, and so that's a good question. Your conception of Christ, you cannot see Christ favoring capital punishment. Many true believers have said exactly that to me. Now, but my view is, is that their conception of Christ is mistaken in certain areas. For instance, capital punishment was a big issue with the Romans. Not only did they kill people sometimes for you know not too big of crimes. Not only did they execute them, but they executed them slow. And sometimes, if they're not a Roman citizen, if they're Roman citizen, they behead them. They they go quick. But if they're not a Roman citizen, they would put them naked on a cross, and they would put a block of wood under their feet. They nail them to a cross, and because of the block of wood, see if you if you're just hanging uh, the whole weight there. Well, yeah. And if you if you put it through the wrist, it, it locks it in place, and uh, and you can support your weight, but you can't breathe. So in a, in a matter of moments, you die. Uh, so the Romans would put a block of wood under a person's feet so that they can keep push up. And then sometimes it would keep people would stay alive for three or four days on the cross. Which according to Christianity, if, if the Bible is a true historical account, and I believe that it is, the scourging of Christ was why he probably, probably took him only six hours to die, whereas the other guys were still going. They could have been there a couple days, and that's why so as not to render ceremonially unclean the Jewish feast day out of respect for them the Romans you know Pilate ordered that the legs be broken of the other two guys on the cross but not Christ which is really significant to Christians since in the Old Testament in the, the book of Exodus the Passover lamb and Christ is supposed to be the fulfillment of the Passover lamb if the lamb had a broken bone he would be disqualified as the Passover lamb but whatever the case if Christ was opposed to capital punishment, I, I would expect to find it as one of the major themes of, uh, um, of what he spoke about. What's that? Forgiveness is practically his, his 
Well, yeah. The, 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 the thing is, though, is did he did he institute did God institute human government for the purpose of forgiveness? I mean, even well, even humans institute government. What's that? Humans government to inflict their own desires. Uh, that, that's a question, and if the answer is yes, human governments were instituted merely by humans, then the Bible, by definition, is, is false, where, where God tells Noah after the flood that. Uh, so, so, so basically. You said that there are many contradictions. I mean, why couldn't that be just one that, that didn't turn out, you know, one of these. Many, but I, I would say what do you mean many countries. I don't believe it's... You said there's, there's many places where you can't follow. Oh, no, no, the, 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 there are some gray areas as far as that one particular word for kill in the Hebrew. Some say it means to, to kill innocent life, and others would say, no, it just means to kill. Um, there's a basic change in, in God's law between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between retribution and forgiveness. Uh, yeah, but it's not. Even the Apostle Paul, who recognized, understood the law greater than anybody in, in, in this room, obviously, uh, he was a Pharisee himself. Um, even he who understood the law and then got saved and understood God's grace better than just about anybody else, because he was forgiven for, for putting so many Christians to death. Uh, even he, it, it, you know, acknowledged that the government uh, has been given the sword by God to bring God's wrath down on the evildoer. Even, um, um, you know, even uh, the thief on the cross talking, talking in conversation to the other guy on the cross. Even he saw that uh, that he his crimes merited death, um, but not Christ. And I believe Paul, before one of the Roman leaders, uh, even even stated that he had not committed a crime worthy of death, which implied that he believed that there were certain crimes that were worthy of physical death. Um, but that's also implied, as uh, most commentators would agree, with Romans 13, uh, bringing the sword. See, basically the government's supposed to be in the business of justice to protect society. The punishment must fit the crime. Um, whereas the How did you explain the side of the war where God directly inflicted his justice? Why, why is there a difference between that and now where, where we're supposed to assume that the government's justice is basically God's justice in America? Well, there, you know, and I, I can't say it's always that case. In most cases, even in the scriptures, God chooses not to use supernatural means to execute his judgment. And many times when Israel backslid, God said he would judge them, and lo and behold, you find out that he ends up judging them through Babylon, or some other Gentile nation, Assyria, or uh, the Meds and the Persians, and that type of thing. So basically, God's normal way of doing things is through natural means, though there are at times the scriptures teach that he chose supernatural means. Um, but uh, one of the problems with Sodom and Gomorrah was uh, any semblance of human government that they had uh, had looked nothing like what God intended human government to be. But, was that oh, with the with the Israelites? Oh, okay. Good question, and, and it's, uh, you know, the, the Jews ask that exact question themselves. Why do you send godless people uh, to, to us, your chosen nation? And God's response pretty much is, because I expected a lot more out of you. If you, will, if you will not represent me, you've been given my law, you've been given uh, my word, I perform miracles in your midst, you don't have the excuses that they have, and if you will not abide by my laws, I will use quote-unquote pagan nations to judge the, the nation of Israel, the God's chosen nation. And so, see, when God said that Israel would be his witness to the nations, 
they were supposed to be his witness of grace, but if they stepped out of line, at least in God's view, they would be witnesses, a testimony of God's justice. And uh, um, whatever the case, you know, some very, very good questions from you and from others, some profound questions. It, it's impossible to do justice to them in a you know a, a two-minute soundbite, so I apologize for that. Yeah, but, uh, it's kind of that way. We're constricted by time. In fact, we need to wrap this up. Um, pretty constructive, uh, a different view. Um, I guess uh, we'll have to let it go with that for now. And then um, you, the, your email, they can contact.